Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you're going to be turning to the Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. How many of you did what we're supposed to do last week? How many of you said hallelujah four times? Raise those hands. All right. For those of you who didn't do it, you fail. You get a zero. Wait till you get your progress report. We send home to your mom and daddy. You're going to get a whipping. I can tell you. You're supposed to have said hallelujah four times this week. So you make it up and only get half credit. Between now and next week, you'll get half credit if you'll say it. Learn how to say hallelujah. We are in Revelation 20. This is what it says. We've covered so far. Remember, we had the Battle of Armageddon, and we'd already covered the fact that in the first three verses of chapter 20, that old Satan was bound by the angel and thrown into the abyss. And it says he's going to be there for a thousand years. Let's pick up and begin reading in verse 3. And they threw him, he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. This is a very important phrase right here. Until the thousand years were completed. You need to underline that. Until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. And I saw thrones and they set upon it. They set upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Underline that again. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. Underline that phrase. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him. There it is again. How long? For a thousand years. And when the, here it is again, thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for war. And the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and forever. The reason I wanted you to underline every time it says the thousand years, it's because those thousand years are called the millennium. That's two Latin words, milli meaning a thousand, annum meaning a year. So it's 1,000 years or what is called the millennium, or the thousand-year reign of Christ. We believe in, I believe in, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, let's set that in a timetable of what has happened in regard to that. Remember that all these things have happened, and we come to a place where there's the battle of Armageddon, 
And then Jesus Christ shows up. He comes and touches down the Mount of Olives. He destroys the armies that are battling against him. And when he comes, that second coming ushers in the thousand-year reign of Christ. All right? Get that in your mind. The thousand-year reign of Christ. And he is going to reign on this earth for a thousand years, I believe. He will reign here for a thousand years. We'll talk about all of what that's going to happen and then there will be a transition time. What I want what I want to say to you is I want you to get this in your mind. I want you to, I don't want you to think of a thousand year reign and then there's eternity. That's the wrong picture. The picture you have to have is that Jesus Christ comes and establishes his reign at his second coming and that reign will continue out throughout eternity. The only thing is that in those first thousand years That reign is what he's doing in trying to change and transform this world. And then there's going to be a brief period when old Satan is going to be released. We'll talk about that in a minute. He's going to be released to deceive the people. And once again, they're going to come and do war against God, Jesus, and the saints. And they're going to be destroyed by fire. And that is the end. And God's dealing with all of sin. And that ushers in the new heaven and the new earth where there will be no sin. You got that picture in your mind? That's what has to happen. So it's not a change. It's just a transition. Something has to happen. There's a reason why Satan is released for that period of time to deceive the nations. All right. Now, let's talk about that aspect of the millennium. Many of you, if you've studied very much in uh, your Bible or you read anything much about end times, you know that there are different approaches to the thousand year reign of Christ. Primarily, there are three. One is called postmillennialism, one is called premillennialism, and the other is called amillennialism. All right, let's talk about that. Millennial, remember, means a thousand years. So it means there is a relationship between the thousand years and when Jesus comes and the coming of Jesus. In the early uh, 1900s, one of the most popular millennial views was called postmillennialism. Postmillennialism. And it was this view. That what would happen in the world is because the gospel is here and Christians are here, that the world would just get better and better and better. That the gospel would permeate the world and the world would become redeemed. And it would get so good that finally the world would become so good that there would be a place where Jesus could come and establish that thousand year reign because the world is so good. Well, when World War I came about, the Great Depression, World War II, and everything that followed after that, it pretty well wiped out post-millennialism because they began to realize and everybody began to see that the world was not getting better, but the world was getting what? Worse. Even though the gospel was preached and even though Jesus came and died on the cross, that didn't mean that the world as a whole was getting better. It wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. So there are very few people who hold what is called post-millennialism today, all right? Then there's premillennialist. I am a premillennialist. Premillennialists believe this. I believe that before the thousand-year reign that Jesus Christ is going to come, all right? He's going to come to his second coming. That's going to be at that battle of Armageddon. And whenever he comes and defeats the enemy at the battle of Armageddon, he is going to set up his earthly reign. One of the important aspects of that is because he had already promised to the Jews that he would do that. 
And I believe that the promises that God made to his holy people, the Jews, I believe that he is going to fulfill that. He is going to accomplish everything he said to them in the Old Testament era, and that is that they're going to have back their land, and that's the totality of that land he described, and they will live in that land forever. I believe that with all my heart. I believe he's faithful to do that. I also believe that in regard to it, the picture that there's literally going to be a battle of Armageddon that's going to happen. I believe he's going to come in in bodily form to take uh, this world and to reign here in this world at that particular time. I think there's going to be a time whenever old Satan is going to be bound and he's going to be cast into the abyss and that he's going to have that thousand years of reign without the interference of Satan. I believe that with all my heart. So my view is that what the Bible says and what the Bible pictures right here is truth. That thousand years is a thousand years, just as it says. Now, why would I say that? Well, one of the reasons I had you underline that is because in the book of of, of Revelation chapter 20, it uses the term a thousand years six times. Six times it's going to identify a thousand years. When the Bible is specific about a number or a period of time to the point that it repeats it, it is nailed down that that is usually literal. It is not allegorical or figurative or symbolic, all right? Another rule of that is that when the Bible, and it's called the law of hermeneutics, how you interpret the Bible, the first law of hermeneutics is if it can be taken literally and if it could be applied literally, then you interpret that way rather than try and find some secret meaning about it. So in this case, it's said six times, and it's very evident that it can be taken literally. So I believe in a literal thousand-year reign, all right? That's premillennialist view. Let me talk to you just a second about amillennialist. Ah means no. A means no millennial thousand years. So the amillennialists, and there are those today, amillennialists believe there is no thousand-year reign. In other words, this, this is just a figurative thing. It's a symbolic thing, but that Jesus is not coming back. He's not, now, why is that? Because they don't feel like that Jesus is obligated or that he's going to fulfill his promises to the Jewish people. When the church came, he just cast aside the Jewish people. I don't believe that. They do not believe that there's going to be the fact that the rapture of the church is going to happen. They don't hold to that. I believe there is going to be the rapture of the church. And one of the biggest things is, is they believe that when Jesus came the first time, when the church came, that ushered in the millennial reign. That ushered in the millennium. The millennium is that Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings right now. It's happening right now. Well, I'm going to tell you, the way the world is today, I don't, want, I don't think Jesus wants credit for it. What do you think? I don't think Jesus would take credit that he is ruling and reigning and and dictating everything. I don't believe that. They deny the fact that they believe there's going to be that binding of Satan. Matter of fact, all millennialists will say this, that when Jesus came, died on the cross and was resurrected, Satan was bound at that time. He was bound at that time. Oh, really? (laughs) Like one preacher said, if Satan were bound at that time, he has a long chain Because he sure has an impact around the world, doesn't he? And that wasn't what Peter said. It wasn't what Paul said. Paul constantly talked about that Satan thwarted his efforts and that they had to battle against Satan. And Peter described him as a roaring lion prowling about to whom he might devour. In other words, Paul and Peter didn't think that the fact that Jesus died on the cross had 
bound him at that time, but we believe that there's going to be that literal time that he is bound. And in our study of the Revelation, it is that time. He has been bound. And now there's going to be this thousand-year reign of Christ. A thousand-year reign that is going to be different from anything that we've ever experienced before. So in looking at that, I want to just answer some questions for you. Now, we could come back, and I'd like to come back sometime and, and discuss. I could preach for about two months on the millennial reign. I mean, there are volumes and volumes written about it. So I'm just giving you an overview of that today. But, but in regard to it, I think there's some important questions for us to ask based on this passage of Scripture. One of the important questions, I think, is who is ruling? Who is ruling during the thousand-year reign? Write that down. Who is it that's ruling? It says it in verse 4. Of course, we know that Jesus has come, and it says that he's king of kings and lord of lords. Who is ultimately in charge? Jesus. And where is he going to set up his earthly kingdom and his rulership? His headquarters are going to be in Jerusalem. He is going to be ruling from Jerusalem. But he is also going to have other people who are ruling with him. Look what it says in verse 4. And I saw thrones. You ought to circle that S. I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given to them. To them, it's not talking about just Jesus. There are some people who are ruling with Jesus. Who is going to rule on this world? Number one, we know that the apostles are going to rule in this world. How do we know that? Write this down. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, when Peter asked the question, Lord, what do we get for leaving everything and following you? And Jesus said, well, if you left houses or sisters or brothers or land or whatever, I'll give a hundredfold this time. But he goes on and says, but you shall rule over the nation of Israel. So he promised to those apostles, save Judas Iscariot, he promised to those apostles that they would set in rulership. So some of those who are ruling over the nations and over this world and helping Jesus in his thousand-year reign are going to be the apostles. But that's not all. It also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, it tells us this, that the saints... The believers of the church will rule. We will rule. We are going to be in judgment over the nations. And it says that we will be in judgment even over the angels. So children of God are going to have a chance to rule. And they say, well, if Jesus rules, what are we ruling? He's ruling the world. And therefore, you're going to have a responsibility in the world of what you are, and you're going to be reporting to him, and you've got things that you're going to be responsible for, and things are going to be happening, and you're going to be in charge of that. At least those, it says, because you need to put a little uh, asterisk by that, because in Luke 19, 17, he qualified that when he told the story of the talents, the parable of the talents. You remember that? He said, if you are faithful to take care of, of the little things, I'll put you in charge of greater things. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in little things. I will put you in charge of greater things. So it doesn't mean just because you're a believer, you're going to be put in charge, but because you have been what? Faithful. You've been faithful in your service. It says that he is going to let you participate in the rulership and reigning over this world in that thousand-year reign. There's somebody else, though, that's also going to be there. Look what it says in verse 4 again. 
And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus, because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead. And they came to life, what does it say? And reigned with Christ, how long? For a thousand years. So the martyrs, those that we had discovered earlier in the Revelation, those who had died because of their belief in Christ, those who had denied the fact that they would bow down to the Antichrist or they refused the mark of the beast and they had had to pay it by their life and give their life for faith, it says that they are going to be brought back to life and they are going to reign with the Lord. They're going to reign with the Lord. So in regard to that, we see that Jesus is in charge. We see the apostles reigning. The church is reigning. We see even the tribulation saints are going to have a chance to reign. All right? So that's who's ruling. Here's the second question. Who is it that's going to be on the earth during the millennial reign? Who is this going to be on the earth? Now, first of all, you've got to remember what we've talked about in the Revelation. In the Revelation, we've discovered that a lot of people who who started out in the tribulation period, do not make it through there. Remember that? I mean, at one case, it says a third of the world will be destroyed, either by war or by famine or by pestilence. We see all of these people who are dying in those seven years because of those things. Not to count the fact that the wars are continuing for those seven years, not to count the fact that literally millions are going to be killed at the Battle of Armageddon. So we know that the population is being depleted. We don't know how many people are left there, but we know that the population is being depleted, but it is made up. Those people in the millennial are going to be made up of different groups of people. Who are they? Write these down. This is what I believe. First of all, there's going to be the church, the glorified bodies of believers are now going to come and dwell on this earth. When did we get here? We came with who? We came with Jesus where? (laughs) At the second coming at the battle of Armageddon when we watched what he basically did and he began his rulership and we came with him and we dwell here and we are indwelling this world in glorified bodies. It's not a body like you got. It doesn't have any infirmities and failures. It's a glorified body. It's a body that's been totally redeemed. And that glorified body is going to be here. And you're going to be walking on this earth. Also, we know that it says the tribulation saints. It says that they came back to life in verse 4. They came back to life. God gave to them life. And they likewise had glorified bodies. And they're dwelling here on this earth. So two aspects of people have glorified bodies. Unique bodies different from that. At least two, we know it's it's the church and we know it's those tribulation saints. Also at that time would be when the Old Testament believers are resurrected. Now, what would it be? Because remember, the rapture is a church deal. Amen? (laughs) The rapture has to do with Jesus and his church. But the second coming is a Jewish deal. That means it has to do with the Jews. So those Old Testament saints who'd believed in him before the church was established, when those tribulation saints are given life back, the Old Testament saints are given their glorified bodies. And so here is the church glorified bodies, the tribulation saints in glorified bodies, and the Old Testament believers in glorified bodies indwelling this world. That ought to be neat, amen? In this world. 
but there's others. I believe that there are going to be Jews and Gentiles who believed in Jesus Christ, who refused to take the mark of the beast, who put their faith in him, who did not die during the tribulation time. In other words, the martyrs, we know they died and they've been brought to life. But there are going to be those people who are able to live all the way through the tribulation time. They are not martyred. They're Jews. We know there were Jews. 144,000 of them were sealed by God. And they did not die in that tribulation time. We know that it says that the multitude, so many you cannot count them, are going to be saved at that time. And many of them will be living. And so those Gentiles and Jews who believed in Jesus but who did not die, they will live and dwell here on this world, but they will not have glorified body. They will have earthly bodies. They'll have earthly bodies. Then the last group that's controversial in one sense, some people believe it is and some people believe it not. Some people believe that there aren't any, any unredeemed. There are no unredeemed that whenever it says in chapter 18 that they all died, that it means that everyone who is unredeemed died at that time. I don't believe that. I believe that there are going to be those who are unredeemed, but they met a certain qualification. You know what it says? It's there in verse 4. It says that they opposed the Antichrist and refused to take the mark of the beast. In other words, they weren't believers in Jesus. They weren't committing their life to Christ. They just were opposing the Antichrist, and they refused to take the mark of the beast. But they're not redeemed, but they lived through that tribulation period. And I believe that those unredeemed Gentiles and Jews in an earthly body will dwell here in the world at that time as well. Now, why would that be? Well, it, it lets you know one thing, that God is a God of mercy. Amen? How many shots and how many times he's going to give somebody a chance to be saved? I mean, he could have wiped it all out at any of these stages, but every time it always gives somebody. You think whenever the rapture happened, nobody could be saved. There are people saved during the rapture. You, you, you think at this point when Jesus comes and he's killed everybody at the Battle of Armageddon that, that he's going to establish the earth again, he would have just cleaned out everything. Some people believe he did. I don't. I believe there are those unredeemed. Now, why would I believe that? Because... What is, is a purpose of the believers? What do you do here while you're here? Do you know what it says we do while we walk on this earth? It says while we're walking on this earth, we serve as priests and kings. And we already talked about ruling and being a king and being in charge of earthly things. But it also said we are what? We are what? We're priests. And what is the purpose of priest? The purpose of priest is the spiritual welfare of those that they would serve and the aspect of bringing them to God, bringing them to a relationship to the one who's the king at that time, king of kings and lord of lords who's ruling over this world. And our job is to be able to evangelize, even in that thousand years, those people who do not yet know Christ, as well as, hold on a second, this is gonna, you need to write this down, as well as the children that are going to be born in that thousand years. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Those with glorified bodies don't think they're going to procreate based on what Jesus said about the fact that whenever we have the glorified body moving to the state of heaven, it's not a marriage it's it, it, as, as it was such. But I believe that all of those who have the earthly bodies, both redeemed and unredeemed, are going to have children and repopulate the world, repopulate the earth during that thousand years. And we know that it has to happen 
We know it has to, no matter whether you believe that all are redeemed or, or some are lost who get to live in that time, you, you know that it's got to happen. There's got to be children born. Why? Because after the thousand years when old Satan is released, he what? He's going to do what? He's going to deceive the people, deceive the nations in order for them to do what? To come and do battle against Jesus again and the saints there at Jerusalem. Well, who in the world? None of the, none of the redeemed. Nobody who's redeemed, nobody who has Jesus and the Holy Spirit in their heart is going to do that. So there's got to be people through procreation and through also what I believe those unredeemed who are not yet saved. There's going to have to be those people who are not saved but can be deceived by old Satan. You got that in your mind? So that's the fact of who is ruling and who's living here at that particular time. Who is reigning? Who's walking in regard to it? Now, I want to talk to you about the resurrection, first of all. You need to get that in your heart and mind, the importance of the resurrection. I think we minimize that. Jesus talked about the resurrection as much as he did anything in all of theology. He wanted to constantly be telling people, there is the resurrection. Be prepared for the resurrection. The resurrection is going to happen. And right here in the book of Revelation, Revelation, the, the, this matter of being uh, resurrected is of utmost importance. Because it talks about the resurrection of the saints. It talks about the resurrection of the tribulation martyrs. It talks about the, revel, the, the resurrection of Jesus himself, right? So the resurrection is important. And Jesus confronted those who did not believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees, in their particular sect, did not believe that there was a resurrection. And Jesus constantly confronted them about the matter that there is a resurrection. You better be aware. There is a resurrection. You better be prepared. There is the resurrection where you're going to have to give an account before God. You've got to get that in your heart. Get that in your mind. Matter of fact, whenever Jesus was ministering to Martha and Mary at the death of Lazarus, in John chapter 11, what did he say to Martha? What did he say to them? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall never die. See, the important aspect of Jesus is that there is a resurrection. And the resurrection is of utmost importance here in this millennial reign of Christ. And I want to talk to you about the order of resurrection. All right, let me give you the order of resurrection, how, how it happens. And I want to do that. Hold your hand here for a minute and turn back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to do it based on what Paul said about the resurrection. This is what Paul said about the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, following. For in, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after that those who are in are Christ at his coming, then comes the end when he delivers up the kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, and he must reign until he has put his enemies under his feet. That's the rulership, it's the reigning of Christ. The last enemy that will be abolished is what? Is death. 
So Paul says there is an order. The Greek word is the word tagma. There is an order of resurrection. And, and here's the order of resurrection, not to confuse you. There is a difference between resurrection and resuscitation. You got it? There are some things that are written down and commented on in the Bible as though it is the resurrection. For instance, the resurrection of Lazarus. Lazarus was not a resurrection. His was a resuscitation. What's the difference? Someone is resuscitated and they will eventually die. Someone who is resurrected will never die. You got it? Once you're resurrected, you never taste death again. So all of that, whether Old Testament or New Testament or wherever it is, anybody who was brought to life by Jesus, by one of the apostles, by one of the prophets of old, they were all resuscitated, for every one of them eventually died. So the resurrection has an order. And what is that order? First fruit, first one to be resurrected was Jesus Christ. All right, write that down. Jesus Christ is the first resurrection. It's what Paul said. He is first. Now, an unusual passage is found in, in Matthew chapter 27, verses 52 and 53. Write that down. You've read that passage before. And that is where when Jesus is crucified on the cross and he's paying the price for sin and, and, he's, and the veil of the temple was rent. You remember what it says happened? It says that certain saints, a number of Old Testament saints, a number of those who believed that they were resurrected. You remember that? They came out of their tomb and they walked in the city of Jerusalem. Y'all remember that? That's Bible. That's Bible. It's real. Why in the world? Why in the world did that happen? What was that all about? Well, that's the second aspect. The second ones who were resurrected were these saints of old. When Jesus had finished, those saints of old, why were they resurrected? Because it has to do with first fruits. When you get home, look up in your Bible about the Feast of First Fruits. Feast of First Fruits had this. What they would do is whenever they had the harvest out in the field, they would go and they would grab a handful of grain. They would take it to the priest at the tabernacle. And the priest at the tabernacle would take and wave that over the altar. And what that was a symbol of is that all of the harvest is dedicated unto God. This is a handful of wheat that is the first fruit that all is coming. There's a harvest coming and it is all dedicated unto God. After first fruits, then in the summertime, there'd be the harvest. Okay. And then after the harvest, there would be the gleaning. You've heard that. In the story of Esther or Ruth, you've heard those stories, haven't you, in, in the story of Ruth, where she goes out and she gleans in the field, All right? Those are the three aspects of the harvest. First fruits, harvest, gleaning. That's exactly the, the picture of the resurrection. Jesus is the first to be resurrected, but when Jesus is resurrected and he goes to his father, he does not go there alone. But rather, he takes those saints of old who have been resurrected as though first fruits and waving them before God that says, God, this is the first of that which is coming, the harvest that is coming. When is the harvest? That's what Paul says in that passage we read in 1 Corinthians. The harvest is when Jesus comes at the rapture. 
When Jesus comes at the rapture, there's going to be the resurrection. And it's going to be the resurrection of who? The church. It's not the resurrection of all people. It's the church. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And that will be the third of the resurrection. And that is the harvest. That's the glorious harvest that you're going to be a part of. I hope you're going to be a part of. If not, you need to get right. Are you going to get left? <laughs> That's the harvest. But it says that there is the gleaning or the end. When is the gleaning? The gleaning is this period of the tribulation. The first of that gleaning were those two witnesses. You remember those two witnesses who came and witnessed and, and nobody could touch them until the Antichrist killed them? And they stayed dead for a number of days and then they were what? They were resurrected and carried to glory. That is the first of the ends. It is the first of the gleaning. And then the remainder of that gleaning is who? All of those saints, all of those of the tribulation who died and gave their life, they will be resurrected. They will be resurrected. You got it? And that is the resurrection of the saints, the resurrection of the redeemed. But there is a final resurrection that you and I need to be aware of. It's a final resurrection. Look what it says here, verse 5. Those in verse 4, they got redeemed. They're the last of the glean. Look at verse 5. But the rest of the dead did not come alive until the thousand years were completed. There's a final resurrection. This is the first resurrection. It's talking about the first before resurrection of the gleaning. Of those two, there's one and there's another resurrection. This is that resurrection of the gleaning. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. For these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God. There's that role and responsibility. And of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. They're in the first resurrection. But there's another resurrection we'll talk about next week. It's the resurrection of the dead. You get that? You understand that? The resurrection of the dead. No dead person, no matter Old Testament era, church age, tribulation age, not one dead person will be resurrected till the end. And at the end will be that final resurrection, which is ushering us in to the second death. Second death? What's the second death? Well, you know what the first death is. You look at it every day, don't you? You know what first death is. That's whenever this physical life is gone. But that is nothing. That's just uh, the valley of the shadow of death if you're a believer. Jesus took away that. Jesus took away real death, amen? But the second death is what you do not want to be a part of. For it is an eternal death. An eternal death in an eternal place of torment. And that will happen at the end, that final resurrection, resurrected of the dead for them to be placed and judged and placed into a place called hell. Don't want to be a part of that. We'll talk about that next week, all right? Final thing, though, we want to talk about is this. 
Why in the world? Look at verse 7. And when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released, will be released from his prison. All right, there's a thousand year reign, then he's going to be released from his prison. Here's the first question. What, what, do you, what do you imagine the millennial reign is going to be like? You ever thought about that? What is the millennial reign going to be like? Those of us are going to be here in glorified bodies. We're going to be living, helping to reign over the world. There are going to be those who have earthly bodies who are procreating the world. Some of those, I believe, are redeemed. Some of them aren't redeemed. They're going to be doing, they're going to be living. Like, what's it going to be like? Well, one thing I want you to get out of your mind is, I don't want you to think that everything is just poof. It's all gone from this to that. It's not going to be that way. You know what's going to happen? Jesus is going to set up his righteous rulership, and he's going to put righteous people in charge of things, and he's going to begin to rebuild his world. And do you know what You know what we're going to be doing? We're going to be ruling in it. We're going to be working in it. We're going to be a part of Jesus remaking his world. Oh, no, I ain't going to heaven. I thought I didn't have to work in heaven. Oh, yes, you're going to have to work in heaven. You have to work on the new area. You're going to have to work. If you're that lazy, you're probably not going anyway. I mean, you know, what I'm organizing. What can I say? You know? I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, if you go online this week, I'll give you a really good article that, that is about a five or six page article that breaks down about how God's going to use us to begin to repair agriculture, repair, repair the world, repair the infrastructure, repair everything, to make it the way Jesus wants it to be, as, law, as well as evangelizing and teaching, being the priest of trying to win the people who don't know them, know Christ, to, for them to be one in that period of time. It's going to be an amazing thing, but it's going to be a gradual growth of the rulership of Christ. You know what they're still going to be? Now, hold on a second. You know what's still going to happen in the millennial reign? There's still going to be sin. There'll still be sin. But sin will be punished. Righteousness will be rewarded. There's a righteous judge. There's a righteous king who's in charge of it. But sin will still be there. How do we know that? Because of what's about to happen. We're about to read about See, see, sin's not going to be taken away until this final thing, this final judgment is going to happen. Because, see, what God has to reveal to us and what God has to help us understand is that as we've gone through the system, the systems of the world were sinful, right? We saw that the religion of the world was sinful. We saw the government of the world was sinful. We saw the economic. We saw the military. All that's sinful. But do you know what it basically comes down to? You know what this final thing is all about? It shows that the problem with this world is us. The real problem is us. We are depraved. We are sinners. And there is the sinfulness of man. So that even when Jesus is in charge, when Jesus is ruling, sin still plays a part. You've heard people say, man, I tell you what, if I could get in the right situation, in the right circumstances, I could live good. No, you're not. You're a sinner. You're going to have problems even in a perfect world. And let me tell you something. God can make a righteous man in a most ungodly situation. You understand that? You don't let your circumstance dictate who you are. Do not accept the excuses of the world who are going to give you excuses all day longer why you're the way you are. You're the way you are because sin makes you that way, and Jesus can clean you up and make you different in an ungodly world. You understand? Because you're going to have a problem even in the millennial reign because of sin. 
and he has to deal with the sin of our hearts and our lives. That's why this happens. The question, why did, he, why did Satan get released? I mean, that's probably one of the most difficult theological questions. Why did Satan get released? Here it is. Satan had to be released because he's fulfilling a purpose of God. He's nothing but a pawn of God. And he's released in order to come into this world for two reasons, all right? Two reasons. One is to reveal the depravity of man. To reveal the depravity of man. And the second thing is he also has to provide. Listen to me now. He has to provide those people who were born in the thousand years, he has to provide an opportunity for them to make a choice. Everybody from Adam and Eve until the end has to make a choice for God or for unrighteousness. Now listen, all those born in that millennial reign, Jesus has been ruler over them. He's been reigning over them. They've been hearing the gospel. They've been being shared the gospel. Everything is godly. But they're going to have to have a choice just like everybody else in creation, of are they going to worship Jesus, follow the king, or are they going to be deceived by the enemy? And old Satan is released for a short period of time. Man, in your open eyes, surely nobody's going to follow that. Surely nobody's going to follow him. Oh, wait, look what it says. And he will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. Even with this righteous king, they gather that many, and they come to do what? Verse nine. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven. There's no fighting going on. Whenever they gather around, no, Satan has deceived them, and they've made their choice. They made their choice. Are they going to follow the king, or are they going to follow Satan? When they make their choice, fire comes down and consumes them, and they are no more. And that has fulfilled the purpose that Satan had. Soon as that purpose has been fulfilled, look what happens in verse 10. And the old devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, circle that word, are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Here's what it tells you. It tells you hell is real, all right? That passage, right, hell is real. And it also is fact is where Satan is going to be, where the Antichrist and the false prophet. I told you, nobody's in hell right now. First one's going there is the Antichrist, the false prophet. The third one going there is Satan himself. And then all of those who do not believe in Jesus, all the unredeemed at the white throne judgment will be placed in there. But at this point in time, we see Satan is bound. He's cast into the pit of fire, into hell. It's Gehenna, not Sheol. Sheol is the place of the unrighteous dead. That's where all the unrighteous are right now in a Sheol, not in hell. Gehenna is hell. But Satan is going to be thrown into that, and then everybody else will follow him after the white throne judgment. They're going to be thrown in there. But here's the reality. The old false prophet and antichrist, they've been in there a thousand years, but they haven't been consumed yet, have they? They're still there. It didn't say where they were. It says where they are. For a thousand years, they've been what? tormented and how long will they be be tormented forever but they will not be consumed they will have that torment forever and ever and ever and listen my friend God it says in the word of God God made hell for Satan and his angels 
He did not make hell. He did not make Gehenna for man. He did not make it for you. But if you choose to serve Satan, and you choose to choose evil, and you choose to go your way instead of God's way, there's no choice except for you to go that way. But that's your choice. God created it for Satan and his demons. And you make the choice if that's where you want to spend eternity because of who you choose to live for and who you choose to give your life for. You don't have to be there. That's your choice. That's your choice. And everybody has that choice. Even those born in the millennial reign are going to have to make a choice. Am I going with Jesus? Or am I going to be deceived by the enemy? Amen? That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.